we hear the end of the passage here uh, in Luke. The father says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So what do you do? You celebrate. You cheer, right? You're that sweet lady with the flag. He's back. I'm so excited that he's back. But this is only the middle. This is only act one of this parable as Jesus tells it. If we just ended there, then I think the parable wouldn't land the way Jesus was hoping for the audience that was there with him. Remember, Jesus was talking to uh, Pharisees here, people who were very religious, who actually had been asking the question, hey, why are you hanging out with sinners? Tax collectors, those, those rebellious people, you even sit down and eat with them. You seem to almost celebrate with them. They don't follow the rules. What are you doing? And so he tells a series of parables, and this is, the, this is where I think he really gets after it. And so we find ourselves now, uh, the party is going on, the celebration, you can hear people cheering and eating and talking. Neighbors have been coming up the pathway into the house. The house is filling, maybe it's even overflowing a bit outside of the home. There's all this buzz. But there's a second lost son. That's where we pick it up. This is Luke 15, if you want to follow along. Otherwise, all the, all the passages will be up here on the screen. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So all this happened. All this incredible moment happens. The father runs to the younger son and pulls him in, and they, they throw, they're throwing a party, and the older son is out in the field. He's working in the field. He, he never left. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. You imagine as it gets closer, it just gets louder and louder. And he thinks, what is going on? Like, what are my parents doing? <laughs> They're throwing a party? I didn't even know this was happening. So he called one of the servants and he asked them, what's going on? Hey, what, why is there music and dancing? I didn't get the invitation. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. So this moment, he, he hears the, the incredible news. Hey, remember your brother who left, who we thought maybe was dead, who didn't have nothing to do with us? The one that we've been saying, oh, I hope he's okay. That every night, remember dad looks out over the, the field and hopes he sees his son running, walking down the path. Every day he's watching, I hope that son comes back, my lost son would return. He did. So we're partying. What else do you do? You celebrate that son coming back. And so of course, right, the older son would say, yes, I'm going to get in there. I can't wait to grab my brother and lift him up and hug him and kiss him and say, welcome back to the family. It isn't what happens. The older brother actually becomes angry. And he doesn't even go into the party. He doesn't even walk in to give like an evil eye to his brother, right? He doesn't he just is angry and refuses to go in, right? Just gives that look like just lasers out of those eyes, I imagine. He hears as soon as he says, what, all the emotion in him? I, it, it's easy uh, in this passage, I think, to say, oh, that older brother, what's, can't he just enjoy this incredible moment? I, I can see it. He's exhausted from a day of work. He's dirty, which happens every single day. He probably is doing extra work because that brother left. And then 
he hears the brothers back. He says, oh, good, dad's going to give him a good talking to. We just set this guy straight. He says, oh, they threw a party for him. So all that wells up in him and becomes anger. And he just stands. I'm not going in there. I'm not celebrating this party. And so once again, the father moves towards the lost son. So his father went out, leaves the party, and pleaded with him. This rebellious brother has left and has come back and they're celebrating. And the, the older brother that I'll call the religious brother decides not to go in the party. But the father moves him, towards him too. He doesn't say, oh, look at that. Uh, let, him, let him mope out there. We're going to celebrate. He, again, as the father does, he moves towards his sons, his children, whether they're rebellious or religious. Even when the younger son was too ashamed to come near, he says, there's no sin too big. Come, come home. And when the other son thinks he's too good, the father moves and says, no, no. You need me. Come. Nothing's too big for you either. But then he gives the, the, the brother an opportunity. He the, the brother explains to him what's going on here, why he's so angry. He answers his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I did everything you asked. I followed all the rules. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I never got a party, even a little party. And I've been doing everything you asked me to do. But when this son of yours you hear how he even talks about him? He doesn't even say my brother, right? This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Have you ever felt this way? I have absolutely felt this way. They did all this stuff. Why did they get that? This is so unfair. This does not seem right. They get a bigger party? You're inviting the neighbors over? I haven't even had a little party with a couple friends. This son who's done these terrible things, who's dead to us, who spiritually was dead, you've given him, it's so unfair. This is a moment I think we want to remember uh, the context of this. Jesus is standing here. This is just a story he's telling to explain what the kingdom of God is like what our Father in heaven is like, what our family is like. And so he's telling this story in a group of people who just asked this question. All the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This has, this, this has to be a moment when Jesus has to, don't you think, look up maybe and glance at those Pharisees? Does this sound familiar? Why are you hanging out with this guy? He's squandered your fortune on prostitutes. He's come home and you're throwing a party. You're hanging out and eating. You're having a relationship with these people. This comes to one of the first things that is really sticks out to me in this uh, act two of The Lost Sons is how much comparison kills our contentment. 
I'll say it again. Our com- comparison just kills contentment. Actually, this week I was just reading this passage with a friend and I said, hey, what is, how does this passage hit you? And he's like, oh man, doesn't comparison just kill contentment? And I was like, yeah, that's a really good idea. So I wrote like, I will never forget that. How true though, right? We say, hey, hey look what I did or what are they doing? Or what, what I, didn't I do? Or what didn't they do? Always looking to another person and saying, well, they don't get this or they should get this or I'm better or they're better than me. A constant figuring out who's better or what's better. It destroys contentment in me. I had this experience this week. Um, this week, Kelly and I had the opportunity um, my wife, Kelly, and I had the opportunity to be a part of church planting assessments. So twice a year, uh, people coming who are interested in planting churches come um, to the Twin Cities here and pastors from uh, around the country or around the Midwest come and we get the opportunity to hang out with them for a few days and coach them and um, assess them and see like, hey, what are some spaces we can help you figure out um, how you can grow and how we can help you move towards planting a church because we love love seeing more churches planted. And so we got the opportunity to sit with uh, some people and, and learn about them and hear about churches being planted in front. It's just as a side note, there are incredible people who right now are getting ready to start churches. There, we know of at least six churches that are, that are getting ready to be planted. And it just, it just warms my heart to think there's people in Flint, Michigan, in Detroit, Uh, In Chicago, we're going to know Jesus because these people are faithful. Um, And in the process, there's uh, we 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 ask them to sit in a room of pastors and preach a sermon, which is a daunting task. Um, And then after it, we all everyone gives just some some helpful coaching and also encourage them and things are doing well. And I sat in a room and listened to six people preach sermons, and every single one of them, I had to write in my notes you're not this guy. And not, not because I was thankful that I wasn't the guy. <laughs> like, thank God you're not this bad. <laughs> but because very quickly, instead of saying, oh, I'm just going to enjoy the gospel this guy's preaching to me, very quickly I go to like, oh, I would have done that different. Or, wow, he's really good. Wow, I wish I could do that. I wish I would thought of that. Why didn't I think of that? Uh, that's weird. Why did you say that? It, it, right, right away, it, it doesn't just go, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm just going to encourage him. It goes very quickly. I have to like tell myself, this isn't about comparing yourself. This isn't about figuring out who's better and who's worse. It's just so built into us. This sin, our flesh just so wants to decide who's better and who's worse. And we see this right here in the older brother. He also indicates a little uh, issue with his heart here. He really wants the father's stuff. And I wonder how much he really wants the father. He wants the father to know, I'm so much better than that son. Why don't I get a party? Why don't I get this stuff? He doesn't deserve anything. He seems quite a bit unaware of his own sin, his own brokenness. He said he has never disobeyed the father's orders. Not once. It's hard to believe that's true, but he really thinks he has done more. And, let's, and we see how comparison has gotten him. It has killed his contentment, his joy. He's literally not in a party right now. 
One of the commentators said, because of the way this party was designed with a fattened calf and the community being invited, there's a good chance, as he says, you have never even let me have a friend with my, a party with my friends. There's a good chance that his friends are in the party. He says, I don't even get to party with friends. And the father's like, they're right there. Come on. His discontent heart is just stuck. Well, then the, the father does, of course, continue to invite him. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad. There had to be joy because this brother was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. It's the same phrase we heard before. The father yells it out. He's, he was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. We have to celebrate. He's come home. Come and celebrate our family coming back. In a way, also calling to the son, do not forget that you too are lost and you have been found. You're not the one who makes people alive and you're not the one who finds people. The second thing I, I really, I think I'm learning from this, not only is comparison, killing my contentment, but I think often religion, or this, this I'm going to follow the rules. I obey everything and I should get everything that I want. This just ruins not only my own heart and brings discontentment, but it often ruins relationships. Here, an example of this uh, is, uh, this is a stock photo. This is no one I know. But they look like very good golfers. Um, I was golfing recently and I noticed this while I was golfing. As I got worse at golfing, which happens very quickly. <laughs> I have these expectations. Maybe anyone who golfs has this, but within a few holes, I'm not doing what I want. I'm not feeling it. I find myself going, I got to do better. I got to do better. How can I do better? How can I adjust my hands? How can I change my swing? How can I visualize where the ball's going? How can I tie my shoes tighter? You know, you go through like, you get to this crazy level. I'm just thinking of a million things. And then I get through the swing and I'm thinking of like your hands, your arms, your shoulders. How are you going to swing? What are you thinking about? Right? I just, I create this, this list. And I go, I got to get all, do all these things because the last shot you had was horrible and you shanked it off into the woods. And so this shot's going to be perfect. I'm thinking of all those things and it doesn't work. And I go more and more every time. It just like layers it on. I got to get this. I got to figure this out, figure this out, figure this out, figure this out. You got to get this to it. Do it right. Do your best. And, and I found myself completely unaware of these people I was golfing with, which was the whole reason I went golfing. I did not go golfing to score a high score because guess what? No one cares what I score at golf. In fact, I write it on a little piece of paper and at the end of the course, we throw it away. <laughs> it's not even like it ever exists again. And at the end of the round, why don't we go get lunch because we're excited to hang out together. But for these couple holes during, the, during this round of golf, I forget people are with me because all I'm doing is focusing on these to get it right, to do it right, to get everything in the right spot so that I can achieve whatever, a par on a, on a course that no one will ever hear about. So as I'm golfing, I forget to enjoy the people around me. Before this, I'm, I'm, I'm cheering people on. I can enjoy someone else's great shot. I can watch their balls so if they lose track of it when they hit, I know where it lands. But after this, someone makes a good shot. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. I could have made that shot. I bet I could have. 
I begin to analyze my shots and my things, switching what size T I'm using or what club I'm using. I got to be the best. And when all I'm worried about is me being the best, I no longer am thinking about relationships. I'm actually being worse golfer and worse friend. And the goal has changed. Uh, Tim Keller talks a lot about this parable. In fact, he wrote a whole book about this parable. I encourage you to read it called The Prodigal God. Uh, lots of great stuff. This is one of the things that's really has struck me. He says, you can avoid Jesus as Savior by keeping all moral laws. You can do everything right and actually avoid Jesus. If you do that, then you have rights. God owes you your answered prayers, a good life, a ticket to heaven when you die. You don't need a Savior who pardons you by free grace. For you're your own Savior. If I do everything right, I don't even need Jesus. It's a scary place to be since we do need Jesus. It makes me think of Paul. Paul, the uh, great apostle who wrote a bunch of the New Testament. Paul's story starts, though, as a person who was uh, a persecutor of Christians, hurting, killing Christians. In fact, a Pharisee. And he says really well what that looks like to be have everything together what that looked like for him before Jesus, he encountered Jesus and Jesus changed him. It says, if someone else thinks, this is from Philippians 3, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their own flesh, what they can do, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. I love that phrase. I was the best of the Hebrews. Put me toe to toe with a Hebrew, I'd win. I follow the rules. I did what God asked. I'm in the right family. I got the right bloodline. In regard, regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. I did everything right. Everything right. And made sure everyone around me did everything right. And as for zeal, I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. I was willing to kill Christians because of what a great Pharisee in Hebrew I was. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If my right standing with God came from following all the rules, I was number one. Gold medal if it was about following the law and the rules. And then he goes on. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, for whose sake I have lost all things. Do you hear really said, I did everything right and it's worthless when compared to knowing Christ. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not my rightness with God did not come from me doing all the right things, but which is through my faith in Christ. All I can do is believe that Christ has done these things the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, you know what I want to remember? I want to remember that Christ came and died on a cross and was put in the ground and was then rose from the dead and defeated death. He restored my relationship with God. He made me a son of the holy God 
And he made a way for me to always be with God, a way for me to heaven, not because of anything I did. I could have done that over and over and over, forever. And it would have got me nowhere, but Christ has done it and I have put my faith in him. Like Jesus in this parable is reminding us and especially the Pharisees, which I think we're a little bit of, right? Or maybe a lot bit of, that your work, this hard, hard work, is not what makes you right with God. But God's going to change your heart like in Paul, changes him, and then he goes and does great things in the name of Christ. But first and foremost, that family, that entrance into the family and into the party comes only because the Father invited you because of the work of of Christ. There's a story of J.K. Chesterton. He's an old guy from a while ago. There's a, a newspaper posed this question in his town. It said, hey, write into the newspaper, What's wrong with the world? I think, he, I think he gets it right on the head. He could have sent a long list right now. If you posted on Facebook today, what's wrong with the world? I would guess you get some very interesting comments, right? That would probably make you sad. Um, this is what he writes. He writes a note to the newspaper. It says this, Dear sirs, I am. <laughs> Sincerely yours, J.K. Chesterton. I love it. He says, I, I am. Can we say that? Can you say, I, I think maybe I'm the problem. I've sinned. I've turned from God. When, when I see crummy stuff happening around me, I say, Who, whose fault is it? I'm too good for this. Whose fault is it? Maybe I'm broken. Maybe my flesh isn't right. There's something off with me. And then what's the fix for that? It's not trying harder. The fix is Jesus. I'm poisoned. And Jesus is the antidote. I'm the younger and older brother. I am lost. And that Father has come and invited me in, and I get the chance to say yes to that. Tim Keller says, neither son, neither son loved the Father for himself. They both were using the Father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. It wasn't about relationship with the father and the family. It was about getting what they wanted, right? One thought he was going to get what he wanted by running away. And one thought he was going to get, by, get what he wanted by just doing the right things. Force the father's hand. This means that they can rebel against God and be alienated from him, either by breaking his rules or by keeping all of them diligently. That's scary. I can actually follow all the rules and still not have a relationship with God. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. We could lose sight of the relationship. Lose sight that we were the ones who were lost. We were the ones who were dead. That Jesus has found us and has made us alive. I heard this recently, uh, put really well, uh, by Sydney, who we just watched set a world record. Someone asked her uh, about her own motivation. Uh, she had shared in an interview about um, kind of the discontentment with even like winning, being the fastest woman in the world. Uh, so that it still doesn't like get there. Even like doing everything just doesn't get there. But something has gotten me you know, to the party. She says, records come and go. The glory of God, though, is eternal. I no longer run for self-recognition but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything. But by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. 
Amen. That would be hard to say. If I want to, if I set a world record in hurdles, I, it would be hard every day not to bring up hurdles with everybody I meet. Would it not? Hey, that's cool. You you jumped really good there. You ever done the hurdles? Oh yeah, yeah. I've done, I've also ran the hurdles. <laughs> world record <laughs> holder. I mean, how? It, what an easy way to compare yourself all day, right? Until someone else obviously beats your record, but. What, what a place to be. Can I be in a place where, you know what, it's, I'm the problem. Christ has solved it. My work now is not for me to get into the party. My work now is to tell more people about this father and the family that's available to them. I'm going to invite our, our worship uh, team back up here to help lead us in some songs that will encourage us to uh, continue uh, preaching that to ourselves. A couple of questions I want you to consider here. We're going to take a moment to just reflect on this. Do you know Jesus has done the work that you can't? Can you even say, I can't do the work to be right with God, who ultimately is going to bring joy and peace and contentment to my heart? Maybe just it's a good week to ask, where is comparison killing your contentment? You just ask when you're feeling discontent. It's connected at all to me just comparing if I'm better or maybe just realizing that I'm worse than others. Great moment to remember the gospel. The father invited the younger brother and the older brother into the party. Maybe where has religion ruined your relationships? Is there rules that you've set up and people don't get to get close to you unless they follow those rules? Maybe you feel like you haven't followed all the rules and so you don't get to get close to people. Has that ruined connections and ultimately ruined your connection with the Lord? And then always just, who do you know who maybe needs to hear this good news? This is really good news. This is a sigh of relief. Take a break. Rest. The Father is welcoming you into the party. He wants you. He takes joy in adopting us into his family. Let's take a moment. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll uh, worship together. Lord, you're, you're so good. You come running after us. When we've been so rebellious, we've said, we, we spit in your face, we've called you names. We wish you were dead and you come running after us. And Father, when we do all the right things to try to manipulate you to give us what we want or to make us feel like we've done all, everything right, that we're better, even in that icky place, I, you come, come to me. You run out to me. You invite me in. I pray you would root those things out of our hearts that we today would turn to you, run to you. Take that free gift of relationship with you in, into your kingdom, into your family, and, and that you would transform our hearts, that we would be people who would love well and do great, wonderful things in our families, and our work, and our community out of that great love, that we'd overflow your love. I pray even, Lord, just right now, that we'd be people who would run towards those who don't want to come to the party, run towards those who have rebel or sin against us. And that would be an opportunity for them to hear and experience this goodness. I pray you just heal, heal our hearts.
We love you, Lord. You are good. Very good. Amen.